Welcome to the MTech Cast, brought to you by CompTIA's Emerging Technology Community, where we talk with experts in the industry about emerging technology. Hello, and welcome to CompTIA's MTech Cast, where we talk about all things emerging tech with the people bringing these fascinating new technologies to market. MTech Casts are brought to you by CompTIA's Emerging Tech Community, an ongoing forum that looks at new and emerging technology that improves business outcomes. Please join us at comptia.org slash communities. My name is Jim Hamilton, and I look after communities at CompTIA, and I'm very pleased to have Jim Brinksma with me today. He's the founding partner of Black Python, and they focus on investing, advising, and providing executive leadership to companies developing products and services covering fascinating technologies like artificial intelligence, blockchain technologies, and cybersecurity. So, Jim, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, Jim, thanks for having me on the podcast. I mean, it's great to see CompTIA, you know, covering these new and emerging technologies, and uh, it's great to be on another podcast. Thanks for having me. Ah, pleasure. So, you're an interesting guest to have on this this podcast because you are an investor. So, you look out across all these different technologies and think about where are you going to place your bets. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about you and how you got into this and, and what that's like. Yeah, sure. I mean, so, uh, you know, thanks for the intro. And, you know, prior to founding uh, Black Python, um, I had a number of positions, uh, mostly in tech and in the finance space. Um, so I had, you know, positions as a vice president of uh, field systems engineering and customer operations for Sienna. I was a uh, vice president of network products and strategy at Goldman Sachs. Um, I was a number of uh, startups that I was with as well. I was one of the original uh, sales team members for Cyrus Systems, which was acquired at the back end of uh, the dot-com uh, era. And um, I was fortunate enough to serve in the United States Navy during Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So um, my background really spans military technologies, uh, telecommunications, finance, and uh, a host of others. So I've been really fortunate to work with uh, amazing companies, with super smart and talented people um, across a pretty wide array of uh, technology domains. So uh, I'm a bit lucky there. Very cool. So what's fascinating for me, and I'm sure the people who are listening, is that you're investing in these technologies. What, what are the technologies that you're focusing on and, and maybe a little bit about why? I really can focus here on maybe three different things for you. And what I'll try to do is explain what these things actually are in simple terms, because a lot of people just throw these out as buzzwords and don't really quite uh, you know, get into the nitty gritty of what it means. So um, you know, one of the first ones that I focus on is uh, artificial intelligence. And when you really break it down, it's kind of a structured way to provide machines with the way to ingest some data, uh, organize it in a way that it can be analyzed, and then take action on it, hopefully in a super positive way that benefits humanity, right? Um, if I want to further deconstruct that, what it really looks like is maybe five opportunities that I see. Um, the first one is the idea of this multilingual natural language processing. Um, and that basically provides a machine the ability to take in information, whether from reading it from some other book or periodical or whatever it happens to be, or from general conversation from anywhere in the world. It really breaks down this whole communications barrier that exists between you know, people that maybe have great ideas but can't quite communicate together because they don't speak the same language. So that's one really big one. Um, the second one is uh, you know, machine perception. And the idea behind that really is how does a machine take in information really from a sensor-based system or, or a network where it could be aggregating a whole bunch of information you know, from these sensors, and it's really machine-to-machine-like communication. Uh, the third part would be like machine learning, which uh, people talk about quite often, but it's like once you aggregate all of this data, like I was talking about, 
Um, really, you want to be able to organize in a way that you can analyze it. Machine learning is like an algorithmic way to allow machines to learn based on the data sets that were created from either this natural language processing or you know, from aggregation from the sensors. Then you know, once you've learned, what you want these things to do is either be, you know, replicate maybe a human emotion as an example, that's called effective computing, where like a system like a robot, like you've seen you know, come out you know, uh, recently, uh, whether it's something like a big dog or something along those lines that we've seen, uh, where it can simulate human you know, movement or motion or feeling or whatever it happens to be. And then finally, it's automation. You want to be able to do these things in a way that you can scale it and have these machines take action without human intervention and hopefully continuously learn based on what's happening. So within this artificial intelligence domain, those are really the five areas that I see. Um, and I think you know, the possibilities are really kind of uh, limitless. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here for, you know, the artificial intelligence space to really grow. Um, does that one make sense? I think that's kind of where I am on the artificial intelligence side. I think artificial intelligence is one of those things that's just absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, like we're, we're talking about how, right? You know, this kind of like just ability to uh, make decisions and, and you laid it out really well. Um, I know uh, in previous conversations we were talking about, you know, Alan Turing and that this is an older, uh, an older space. Um, question I often ask people when we get to AI, do you, do you think we're getting ready to to pass the Turing test, and for those who don't know, the Turing test is, is you know, can a computer actually um, fool another human into thinking that they're talking to a human? Where do, how, how close do you think we are to that? Yeah, it's really, really interesting that, you know, it's good that you brought up the whole Alan, Alan Turing piece. I mean, um, I think he posed that question, I believe it was like in the early 1950s. And, uh, you know, so if, if you really think about it, the field is almost like 70 years old at this point, but I still think we're in the very, very early days. Uh, there's tons of projects that are going on now, I mean, largely driven by the likes of, you know, Google and others, and they really focus on gameplay, whether it has to be things like chess or the game of Go, which is super complex. And you're starting to see the machines be able to beat the masters, if you want to call it that, right? Sure. But I think, you know, um, ultimately, this is definitively going to evolve, and I think you're going to wind up finding that there'll be robots uh, that can be providing home care, uh, you know, if you will, or at least companionship for the elderly and things along those lines. And I think once you have a space available and you have technology available, you're catering to a, a very specific human need. I think you'll wind up seeing that the the um, you know this field evolves even more over time. But I think a, a good barometer is going to be you know when you can have a robot maybe inside a home that's basically providing companionship to the elderly who might not have uh, a lot of either you know familial support or anything else uh, around them during different times or portions of the day. But I think uh, we're ultimately going to get there. That's amazing. So you mentioned uh, meeting uh, a fundamental human need. Um, the next technology you focus on is uh, meeting the fundamental need of trust, right? So yeah. tell us a little bit more about blockchain. Yeah, I mean, so blockchain, again, is uh, one of those things maybe you're throwing around kind of like a buzzword every once in a while here. Um, and, you know, people claim it's going to solve, uh, you know, all the world's problems. But let me, let me break it down. I mean, I want to make sure that... Uh, we're pretty concise in what the blockchain actually is and what kind of I'm looking at it uh, for. But so, I mean, the first thing in blockchain, we'll call it is a block, right? Um, and you can really just think of a block as this container that warehouses some number of transactions that are packaged up inside of it, right? Um, and by the way, the number of transactions in this particular package, you know, may differ based on which kind of project, uh, you know, we have to be talking about. To give you kind of a quick example, I mean, uh, the size of a block for Bitcoin is about one you know, megabyte 
while the size of a block for you know Bitcoin Cash is roughly you know eight megabytes. Um, and you know, really, the reason people do that is for transaction volume, right? But just think really of a block as just being this container that warehouses a bunch of uh, transactions inside of it. Um, and the chain itself, you could think of as just basically being a long list of blocks that are linked together. So in aggregate, they just represent the entire history of all transactions that happen to take place on that given chain, right? So, you know, that's really what a block is and what the blockchain actually represents. Um, and now I think the really important part, which you were kind of alluding to, is, you know, what makes it different? Hey, look, we've been doing transactions since the dawn of commerce, right? So why is the blockchain kind of any different? And again, I think there's probably five really key themes to you know uh, what what makes the blockchain different. And the first one is that it's really a peer-to-peer -peer network. So there's no centralized authority that can dictate all of the terms and conditions, if you will, right? Um, so that's super, super important. The second piece is the idea of having a distributed ledger, right? Um, and this distributed ledger really fulfills a number of different aspects of what really makes blockchain important. So first of all, I mean, all the nodes that are on the network um, basically have entire copies of this ledger. So it's fully transparent, right? Which is awesome. Um, the second piece is that, you know, the data that gets added to the ledger um, can't conflict with existing data and everybody must agree that the data that goes into the ledger is the right data. So it's consensus driven. Everyone has like equal authority, right? Um, and when you add a block to the blockchain, it's basically append only, which basically means that, you know, the blocks can be added and they can't be changed after the fact, which is going to really limit um, people's, you know, uh, uh, potential malicious intents to change, you know, what history may have looked like. Right. So that's what's deemed to be like immutable. Um, and all the data is locked and associated with a specific owner. Usually that would be a wallet address. There's accountability that exists there. And because it's always available, easy to replicate, and it's peer-to-peer -peer and all this other stuff, there's really no single point of failure. So the distributed ledger makes this, you know, really, really powerful. Um, you know, and then from blockchain specific to something like, you know, Ethereum, you have what's called smart contracts. So the terms and conditions basically get outlined in the code and they're executed as such. Uh, there's no, you know, uh, dependencies on human intervention and all sorts of negotiations and things along those lines, basically hey, the terms and conditions are embedded in the code and they'll be executed you know, flawlessly as the code was written, right? Wow. Um, and then you know, the final two are really that you know, it's a sovereignty. All users are empowered to basically transact equally um, with full authority. There's no like you know, super user and somebody else who can't do something. I mean, everything is fully transparent and it's out there. And the idea is really to align, you know, for the fifth thing is really kind of the alignment of incentives, right? So, um, you know, in the case of like currency as an example, like, you know, if you're really debt laden and you can basically print your own money, right? It's, you know, uh, to your benefit to print money to pay off your old debts. But for the people who don't have debts and they're saving their money, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it devalues their currency. So it's a misalignment of incentives. Um, and the blockchain can really overcome that because there may be a fixed number of tokens that or coins that may ever exist, right? And the expectation that the savers will actually be able to hold on to their, uh, you know, tokens or coins and retain value, if not uh, gain value, because, uh, you know, there's a limited supply. So, I mean, ultimately, the blockchain allows participants, you know, in a network to willingly and securely, you know, transact or exchange value in a super transparent manner. 
Um, and by the way, it can be audited to hold all parties accountable. So I think there's a ton of opportunity uh, in the blockchain space as things move from centralized authorities with uh, you know, even the potential for some form of manipulation by you know, bad actors into a more de decentralized and transparent sort of environment where people are held accountable for their actions. Yeah, so this 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 technology is dizzying. Um, you know, when you think about the implications for, you know, things as 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 central to our society like like a central bank, right, or financial institutions. But even when you start to think about when people implicitly trust one another, not because of a relationship, but because of the technology, just how quickly things can move, right? Um, you know, across borders, uh, through the supply chain, um, with people you've never even met and probably wouldn't trust if it wasn't for something like a blockchain. So, yeah, very, very cool. We're going to take an opportunity for a quick break to hear an important message. perpetual disruption, much of it propelled by breakthroughs in business technology, access to industry insights and expertise is more essential than ever. So is CompTIA. We're your nonprofit global tech association connecting leading innovators with the experienced technology solution providers who together are actively redefining the state of business technology. If your business builds, sells, influences, or drives the adoption of technology, CompTIA is the place for you. We help you and all the levels of your organization succeed through unbiased industry insight, credible guidance, and supportive collaborations that help you transform the way you do business. Become a member today at comptia.org register. So again, we're going on the theme of trust, and we were talking about embedding it in our, our um, uh, you know, in the, in the blockchain and, and our transactions to cybersecurity. Now that's been around forever as well. Uh, why are you focused on this one? Yeah, again, I think uh, a lot of these things are kind of correlated, like you alluded to, right? Where there's you know trust and security and things along those lines, and this is kind of thematically how you know um, you know we're looking at it at Black Python, but. You know, over the course of time, and whether it's for the right reasons, uh, depending on your, your your point of view, I mean, there's tons of you know, com you know, technologies comprised of you know components and software and you know hardware, and there's systems integrators and service providers and content providers, and it, you know, you name it, right? Everyone has their own incentives, their own goals, their own aspirations, and in building some of this software and building some of this hardware, even building services, you know there are what could be viewed as holes that are embedded in these that could be exploited. I mean, and a lot of them there are for good reason. You know, maybe it's under the guise of uh, customer convenience or customer experience or the ability to aggregate third-party data or share data, or maybe there's customer, you know, demand to be able to have like lawful intercept capabilities, or, you know, maybe people are aggregating this data and selling it for profit as part of their, their business model. But inevitably, you know, each one of these little holes that I kind of talked about can be exploited not only by, you know, people with good intentions, but people with, with bad intentions, That's right? So, I mean, I think it's in order for us to really focus on a world where the individual is uh, meant to be kept whole and secure and they have a right to privacy and they have, you know, a right to safeguard, you know, their information and only share it with people that they want to share it with. Um, you know, there's going to have to be a change at the end of the day, right? And I think, uh, you know, there's, there's means to go about doing this. And I think for it to be audited and for people to be held accountable, I tend to focus on looking at new companies that are offering products or services that are based on, you know, whether it's open source hardware, 
uh, where the designs and the processes for the development and all the components in the system are, you know, um, open source and auditable and people can be able to understand what the hardware is explicitly doing within that system, I think that's important. The same thing goes for software. You want your software to be open source where there's no more big blobs of code that you can't get into and people can go read the open source uh, software and hopefully that, you know, the code itself is written in a manner that's very clean and not confusing by design, right? And again, it can be audited by third parties to make sure that there's no vulnerabilities that exist with inside it. And then piggybacking a little bit off of the blockchain piece would be, you know, I think all of these, you know, components, whether they're hardware or the software, you know, should be able to enable strong encryption. Um, and the algorithms used for the encryption should also be open source and publicly validated by, by experts to make sure that whatever communication takes place between any two machines or a machine and an individual or two individuals, um, you know, is transmitted securely. And there's, you know, there's privacy that's there. I think the other two, um, you know, for me that I really try to focus on are data ownership. I mean, you know, I don't believe that you go and create content on some website and all of a sudden the moment you create it and you hit the send button or the post button that all of a sudden you no longer own that content that you created, that some other entity now owns it and can share it without your permission. I really believe that people should own their own data and their own content, right? And I also believe that people have a right to privacy. I mean, I do really believe that, you know, if you want to disappear from the Internet, you should be able to. And you should have the right to either share or limit the amount of information that, you know, uh, you are sharing um, at any given point in time. Right. And I think the really difficult thing to do here is to avoid all the metadata analysis, the traffic analysis, the correlation analysis and things along those lines that are being done, whether it's by service providers or, you know, uh, anyone else for that matter. But I think the really important thing from the cybersecurity standpoint is to, you know, look at those five items that I just talked about, but it's really the realization that, you know, even if there are uh, vulnerabilities that exist and they are, you know, put in by design with all the best intent, we can't expect that the bad guys won't find these same vulnerabilities and exploit them um, basically to our detriment. Uh, but really, that's the whole idea of cybersecurity. And as you can imagine, I mean, they're kind of all interlinked, you know, as far as I'm concerned, for artificial intelligence, blockchain, and cybersecurity. And we really look for companies that fit into, like, the intersection of all three, right? So that's kind of where, where we're going. Very cool. Um, so, Jim, I'm going to press the pause button here for a second. We're going to take a quick break as we hear an important message from the folks at CompTIA. CompTIA benefits provide members with a wealth of resources that, when leveraged, result in measurable impact, helping to grow IT businesses and careers. Become a member today at comptia.org register. All right, so we, we've, we've taken a deep dive into this, uh, these three cool technologies. Uh, give us some, some applications that you're seeing out there. What, what, do, what are you seeing? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if I look at it, uh, one great example is uh, DDoS mitigation. This is like a, a problem that's been around since the 1970s where you can have somebody basically uh, attack a given website for whatever reason, you know, that they would choose to do so to take it down. And uh, there's a great company out there right now called Gladius that's based out of Washington, D.C., and they're basically flipping the script and using the blockchain simultaneously. Instead of having a distributed group of uh, computers that represent a botnet basically attack a single entity to take it down, they flip the math equation from many to one to many to many. 
So basically, they provided the idea that, you know, by leveraging the blockchain and content delivery um, technologies that you can spread out uh, in uh, a website or pieces of a website or even move a website almost on demand so that if a targeted attack comes to one centralized authority or entity that warehouses this information, that it would only be able to take down either a piece or they'd be able to relocate this content to another location uh, before it actually went completely down. So they've changed the relationship between an attacker and uh, you know a website from many to one to many to many. So it's wow. a very very super cool sort of a solution that's uh, being driven by uh, the Gladius team. So I mean that's you know one example of an application. I love that. I love that. All right. Well, yeah, it's very cool. I mean you know another one is uh, Cryptello, uh, and they're actually based in the Czech Republic, but uh, they have this really cool blockchain based zero man- uh, zero knowledge management platform. Um, but it offers like full end-to-end um, encryption, um, and you basically get to manage all your own keys. And it's really cool for people who are in like the uh, journalism space that are looking to protect their sources or their content, um, as well as just being able to comply with you know newer regulations like GDPR when people want to share you know information. Right. Um, you know, another good example is Blockmesh. They're based out of uh, South Africa. And they're basically just doing phone-to-phone communications, like for burst messaging, uh, as well as being able to uh, transact using their token, um, you know, in economies where maybe a cellular phone infrastructure doesn't exist, but they use Bluetooth, uh, you know, transactions phone-to-phone, and either tokens can be delivered from phone-to-phone or messages can hop through all these phones to get from one location to the other. So um, it's super cool because you can bring another billion people into the digital economy, but then on top of that, in a disaster recovery scenario, if an island gets wiped out by like a hurricane and the cellular phone infrastructure goes down, if all these people had lock mesh on their phone, they'd be able to say, hey, you know, Jim, are you alive on the other side of the island, right? And that burst message would hop through every phone uh, and get to you and be able to come back. So there's some really cool things that are taking place in this space that are really great for like humanity at large. I mean, killing denial of service attacks. I mean, helping people in disaster recovery scenarios, helping people to communicate and, uh, you know, get the press to be able to uh, report on the things they think are really important and necessary for us to all know and understand. I think those are a couple applications. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know what's really cool is the democratization of technology, too, with all of this new tech, right? You're talking about a Czech company, you're talking about a South African company, and innovation is alive and well across the globe, which is is really cool to see. These aren't, you know, um, Silicon Valley companies, as we traditionally see. No, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The whole democratization piece is super important. And, uh, you know, these are just a couple of the folks that we're dealing with. But it's really, really uh, invigorating to see the innovation on such a global scale. For sure. All right. So most of our listeners uh, would be in the SMB IT channel. So, you know, either a solution provider or vendor or distributor. And I know what they're thinking is cool technology. There's lots of fun, some cool companies out there doing really interesting things. But how do I make money? How do I actually take this and make money? So uh, what advice can you provide to our listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll just stick with the same maybe themes that I've used a little bit earlier. But I mean, on the uh, DDoS mitigation side, I mean, the the Gladius solution really provides people the opportunity to either offer new decentralized uh, DDoS mitigation services, as an example, or they can even do sort of a tiered service where they have their existing, uh, you know, DDoS mitigation service that's in play that's probably somewhat centralized. And they can piggyback a tier office as well. You know, you end up getting, um, you know, 
oversubscribed within your given centralized solution, you can now push into the, the decentralized solutions as coupling them both together to offer kind of a tiered service. Um, and, you know, the other piece for Gladius as well is that people could literally just open their own protection pools if they wanted by going kind of to their marketplace and being able to find other people willing to donate their spare compute power um, to become part of a protection pool. So you can open, almost think of it as like opening your own franchise uh, for DDoS you know, mitigation. So there's tons of opportunity um, in that space. And likewise, even for what I was talking about earlier, for like a Cryptello, if you wanted to offer a new you know, GDPR compliant sort of uh, secure communication service uh, that you wanted to layer onto your service offerings for your product, you could definitively do that. Um, Block Mesh could offer you some really awesome disaster recovery sorts of uh, um, services. I mean, I would imagine that if you're a service provider, you would love to have something like Block Mesh pre-installed in every phone that you wind up selling so that, you know, if in the event that some area that you provide services in, the infrastructure goes down, you still provide people the means to communicate um, without having to leverage like, you know, your cell tower infrastructure or whatever. So it'd be great for disaster recovery for large scale service providers. Um, so I think there's a ton of opportunity out there for people to be able to make money. Um, to sell new products, to sell new services, to complement, you know, older existing services, and even be, to be able to harvest, you know, some of the infrastructure that's underutilized that's out there in their networks to provide new services today. So I think there's tons of opportunity. Ah, fantastic. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up in just a minute, but um, let's let's let's. Uh, we've been thinking about pretty much the here and now, or at least over the next three or four years. As you think about ten, twenty years out, where do you see these technologies going? Where do you where do you see uh, things landing? What's going to look like in twenty thirty? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always uh, try to position this in in terms of like how I've seen history progress from from my point of view, right? Uh, in the 1990s, we had this big uh, challenge between the net heads and the bell heads, if you remember. And it's like, oh, my God, will voice over IP, you know, ever work, right? <laughs> and the net heads were all about IP, like, yes, 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 it's going to work. And the bell heads like, no, you have to use TDM. You'll never get the quality, right? right. And ultimately, you know, the emerging technology in IP won. And look, we're using voice over IP today to even, you know, do this particular podcast. And that was really like the 90s, Right. If you move into like the 2000s, we had a very similar argument between like the wire line versus the wireless guys. And, you know, ultimately wireless became mobility. But the whole idea behind it was, you know, will wireless connections ever be reliable enough for us to be able to, uh, you know, have a real phone call or host a conference call or do a video chat or something along those lines? And inevitably, you know, the, uh, the, the mobility people won, right? We made the technology work over, over time, right? And that was the 2000s. 2010s, I mean, it's like, it's commodity hardware coupled with like specialized software versus, you know, um, specialized hardware like ASICs. It's like, will we ever get the performance on commodity hardware, you know, to fulfill some of our, uh, these applications, right? without using some specialized, uh, you know, sort of device, right? We're still in the midst of uh, this particular discussion, and I think that's going to keep transpiring over call the next uh, few years. And I ultimately think that we will wind up with uh, a lot more commodity, low-cost hardware that's still high-performant out there. But most everything, the intelligence will reside within the software itself, not necessarily the hardware. Um, of course, there are going to be a few key instances where you're going to absolutely require uh, super high performance, you know, hardware, and that may be different. But for the masses, I believe that the combination of 
commodity hardware and specialized you know, software basically evolves to take over most applications we see today. What that leads us to, in my opinion, going back to like, you know, the call, what we call the 2020s and 2030s, if you will, is this concept of, you know, manual operations versus autonomous systems. And can we remove human intervention from the equation, especially from complex operations and rely on machines um, to be able to make decisions on our behalf and remove the need for human intervention to take action? I ultimately believe we do wind up uh, we do wind up getting there. So I think if I had to say what do I what do I really see coming out as a big theme or a big trend, it would probably be the move to autonomous systems with all of the relevant technology that's associated with it. Yeah, yeah, and and all the uh, implications and fears that come along with it too when you have autonomous machines. But we'll leave that one for the moment. <laughs> but, well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Jim, for joining me today and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you uh, in the future and seeing where, where things take you. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me and uh, thanks to CompTIA for uh, you know, hosting this sort of uh, an event and I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the MTech Cast. To learn more about CompTIA's emerging technology community, visit comptia.org communities.